Some think the beginnings of modern conspiracy thinking trace back to a relatively small-scale Bavarian group of elitists in the 18th century. This idea has grown wings throughout the centuries, and now it includes just about anyone and everyone who is famous or powerful or rich. And they are coming to get you. This is the story of the Illuminati, and this one is one of the biggins. You leave the world behind and enter a large chamber, filled with boxes and crates as far as the eye can see. Welcome to The Conspiracy Clearinghouse. The podcast that takes a rather skeptical look at conspiracies and mysteries. Each episode will examine various conspiracy theories, most of which are not true, a few of which might be a little bit true, and even a couple that turned out, in fact, to be true. There are many boxes in the clearinghouse, and along the way, we'll look at some mysteries and hoaxes as well. We dare to look behind the curtain that's behind the curtain. I'm your host, Derek DeWitt. Welcome to the Conspiracy Clearinghouse. Story. Johann Adam Weishaupt was a professor of law at the University of Ingolstadt in Bavaria. Ingolstadt is famous for being A, the birthplace of the Illuminati, and B, where the fictional Dr. Frankenstein studied. Weishaupt got a doctorate in law at the age of 20. He married at 24. He was respected like his father before him, who'd also been a law professor. Maybe he was a little idealistic. He was certainly restless and ambitious. When Pope Clement XIV suppressed the Jesuits in 1773, Weishaupt became a professor of canon law at the age of 25. This position had previously been only open to Jesuits, but now that they were on the outs, others could step into those positions. He read some of the philosophy of Johann George Heinrich Fede, who was an empiricist. Empiricism says, basically, that only the evidence of the senses provide any real knowledge, and that the human mind starts off as a sort of a blank slate and develops thoughts only through direct experience. This is in opposition to idealism, which Kant was a big proponent of, which said, basically, reality is a construct of the human mind and that everything we deal with is really just a mode of representation. This includes concepts of space and time. Idealists would argue whether this was meant to be taken literally, or if they were just saying, we might as well treat everything as constructs of the mind, because what we're actually talking about when we talk about things is our constructs. Feder and Weishaupt hated the ideas of idealism and were sworn enemies of it. So much for his CV. In the personal sphere, however, Weishaupt was a difficult personality. Colleagues described him as, quote, cynical, unscrupulous, a careerist, and a liar, a sort of a cliché academic, clever, self-absorbed, cantankerous, and a self-deceiving bore. He'd often sort of leap upon anybody who would listen to him, expounding his ideas that reason could throw off the trappings of religious magical thinking and superstition and help achieve the Enlightenment ideals of perfecting human society through proper application of thought. He sounds like a pretty annoying guy. 
and he'd always loved intrigue and secret societies. When he was younger, he'd read up on the Pythagorean Brotherhood, which was a mystical cult in ancient Greece devoted to finding mathematical harmonies in nature. In 1774, he became a member of the Freemasons, but he didn't really like them. He thought they weren't really secret enough. He also didn't think they were political enough, and also it was pretty expensive to be a member of the Masons. So he decided he'd start his own secret society. On May 1st, 1776, the then 28-year-old Adam Weishaupt presided over the inaugural meeting of the Order of the Illuminati. Calling himself Brother Spartacus and taking the Owl of Minerva, an ancient Greek symbol for wisdom and knowledge, as the symbol of the Order. At the meeting there was Weishaupt, or Spartacus, and four of his students. The group's name came from his idea that reason alone could illuminate the world, driving away the darkness of superstition that continued to hold back real progress. He had originally wanted to call the group the Covenant of Perfectibility and call members Perfectibilists, but then he dropped that because he thought it just sounded so weird. He also toyed with the idea of calling it the B-Order, but finally he settled on Illuminati. The statutes of the Order of the Illuminati said that the purpose of the group was, quote, to render unto man the importance of the perfection of reason and his moral character, to oppose the wicked designs of the world, to assist against the injustice suffered by the unfortunate and the oppressed, to encourage men of merit, and in general to facilitate the means of knowing and science. Well, that all sounds pretty good. But Weishaupt added a lot of rules and habits so that it would really feel like what he thought a real secret society should be like. Members took on new names, like he was Brother Spartacus. They went through complicated initiation rituals. And at each level of the organization, more and more of the overall goals would be revealed. And they learned a secret, complex vocabulary that only the initiated would understand. Members were also told that they had to cut all ties with family and friends. To be a part of the Illuminati, you had to be all in. The small group joined a Masonic Lodge in Munich in 1777 to infiltrate them and find worthy candidates that they could add to the ranks of the Illuminati. They often told recruits that what they had was a pure Freemasonry with lofty goals that included no less than the freedom of all mankind from ignorance and the perfection of society. Well, it certainly had an audience. In just a handful of years, the Illuminati had grown to more than 300 members in many countries around Europe. Trouble, Trouble in, in paradise. paradise. So yeah, Weishaupt was a less than pleasant person, needless to say. He was pedantic in the extreme. He was domineering, authoritarian, always asserting what he saw as his right to wield power in the organization however he wanted to. After all, I mean, it was his idea. He told members what they could read, what they could wear, and what they could think. He forbade any whiff of Kant's ideas of using independent observations to reach conclusions. In the Illuminati, truth was what Weishaupt and the superiors of the orders said it was. And the superiors were told what to think by Weishaupt. So it was very much a my way or the highway kind of an organization. I mean, he was certainly living out his dream, but other members could not live out their dreams. Weishaupt even kicked out one of the original founding four members for, quote, indolence. I guess that means talking back. 
Well, this kind of authoritarian attitude didn't really sit so well with some people when they started to talk to outsiders about the Order of the Illuminati. Those people in turn told other people what they'd heard, and it kind of, like in a game of telephone, details got more and more exaggerated and weirder as they spread. Inside the Order, there were problems as well. Weishaupt had told people in the Order that it was in fact an ancient one stretching all the way back to the Knights Templar, but when pressed for details, he finally had to admit that this was just not true at all. Piddling details became worthy of long, tedious, multi-week conversations and rounds of letter writing like whether or not one evangelizing member could have his fees and dues reduced because of all the work he was doing opening up new lodges in other cities. Philosophical differences arose as well, despite Weishaupt's attempts to maintain absolute control of doctrine. They also started essentially taking over some Masonic lodges, which caused schisms as members of those lodges kind of bought into some of the Illuminati stuff, but also like some of the Masonic stuff. And there were multiple, multiple, not very interesting arguments about tiny little doctrinaire details. And of course, money is always a problem when you're trying to run an international organization. And some men were admitted to the order simply because they were wealthy, not because they were worthy in Weishaupt's estimation. There was also a conflict with the Rosicrucians. Weishaupt did not want the Rosicrucians to find out about the Illuminati. The Rosicrucians were still very firmly focused on the church, very pro-monarchy. These were two things the Illuminati were very much against. But the Rosicrucians also had some rather powerful members. And they did find out about the Illuminati and no surprise, started causing trouble. They spread more rumors about the order, they ratted them out to governmental authorities, church leaders, and Freemason lodges, and when some anti-religious pamphlets started cropping up in Bavaria, the Illuminati were blamed for those. At its peak in 1784, the Illuminati had somewhere between 650 and 2,500 members. Records can verify 650. Weishaupt claimed as many as 2,500, probably the truth is somewhere in the middle, let's say 1700 just to be fair, which is not terrible for just a few years. It had members in influential positions in society, lawyers, doctors, nobles, public ministers, ambassadors, etc. But all the misinformation and disinformation about the order resulted in quite a lot of people starting to become alarmed. The Illuminati panic started spreading, and pressure was put on the authorities to do something about this potential menace which sought to undermine the basic foundations of society as it had been constituted for centuries. Then Charles Theodore, Prince Elector of Bavaria and Count Palatine of the Rhine, banned all unauthorized societies in his lands. Weishaupt stopped all meetings, but more slanders and rumors circulated anyway. So Weishaupt went to see Charles Theodore, telling him all the super-secret stuff that only those in the highest rank should have known, including their lofty goals of a perfect human society, perfect as defined by Weishaupt. But Charles Theodore was unimpressed, and on March 2, 1785, he issued an edict specifically against the Illuminati. Weishaupt and other high-ranking members fled Bavaria. Members elsewhere simply stopped doing any Illuminati stuff. Hundreds of documents were seized by the government. Priests and church leaders added their voices to the condemnation, saying that the Illuminati were irreligious, which they were, and disloyal to the dynasty, as well as fostering, quote, political intrigue and moral corruption. And that would seem to be that. 
After almost nine years in existence, the Illuminati were over. Weishaupt would continue to write about the Illuminati throughout the rest of his life while in exile in Gotha, but he never really got the organization up and running again. He died in 1830, aged 82, survived by a second wife, four sons, and three daughters. And yet, the very idea that there really had been this secret society that really had infiltrated high levels of government, business, and academia kind of freaked some people out. The Freemasons were also sometimes getting painted with the same brush, which irritated them since they did not agree with the goals of the Illuminati and had not even tried to remain secret, but because the Illuminati had started off by infiltrating Masonic lodges, people kind of associated them with each other. And that's how it all sort of remained, until the French Revolution of 1789. Voulez-vous la paranoïa avec moi? The centuries-old tradition of monarchy was being swept away in France, and for ten violent years, 1789 to 1799, things got pretty rocky. The old ways were crumbling, the new ways had yet to take any coherent and stable form, and uncertainty was everywhere. People blamed all sorts of groups for the chaos, Masons, Jews, other groups. Many wondered why God had abandoned them and how exactly Satan had managed to get the upper hand. Near the end of all this, in 1797, a French nobleman and Jesuit priest named Augustine Boriel published Memoirs Illustrating the History of Jacobinism, a decidedly conservative view of the French Revolution. He saw the whole thing as being engineered from behind the scenes by a combination of Enlightenment intellectuals, Freemasons, and the Illuminati. Yes, Far from being disbanded 14 years earlier, he said, the Illuminati had simply gone underground and continued working in secret. Together, these three groups had created the Jacobins, a powerful revolutionary political club of the time. He thought that everything that had happened had been planned and then carefully brought about, and that the ultimate goal was, quote, universal disillusion, the overthrow of society, and religion itself. So a barbarians are at the gate kind of a thing. This is a deeply conservative man trying to find blame for why his world is changing. The same year, Scottish professor of natural philosophy, who today we would call a scientist or a physicist, John Robeson, published Proofs of a Conspiracy Against the Religions and Governments of Europe Carried On in the Secret Meetings of Freemasons, Illuminati, and Reading Societies, etc., Collected from Good Authorities. They liked long titles back then. He basically said the same thing as the French book, though he differed on a couple of the details. He actually went a little bit further. He said the French Revolution was the first step in a plan to unleash anarchy across the globe and abolish all religions. He claimed he knew for a fact that the Illuminati still existed, quote, endeavoring to propagate their detestable doctrines among us. Despite the fact that both books made wild leaps in logic and had a number of unfounded, even absurd assumptions and had numerous factual errors, they became quite popular, inspiring other writers to expound and expand on these ideas. And just like that, the basis for all modern conspiracy thinking was born. There's a secret organization of powerful people who want to create chaos and anarchy, eliminate all religions and all governments and all traditional structures, and then maybe they'll try and implement their own religion or government in a totalitarian dystopia that will go on forever.
It ain't over till it's over. Quite a few people in powerful positions sort of subscribed to this idea, and they started cracking down on anything that they thought might possibly be signs of an evil conspiracy like this. Their hardline tactics actually ended up causing a series of revolutions that started in 1848 in what is sometimes known as the Spring of Nations. This happened everywhere, Italy, France, Germany, Denmark, the Habsburg Empire, Sweden, Switzerland, Poland, Romania, Belgium, Spain, Ireland, Britain, the Netherlands, Portugal, Russia, almost nowhere in Europe was untouched by unrest and dissatisfaction with the traditional top-down status quo. The U.S. was also affected, so was Canada, Brazil, Chile, Colombia, and Mexico. When it was all over, there were suddenly a lot more independent countries and empires were significantly weakened. The Illuminati conspiracy theory and its ultimate goal of world domination was revived between World War I and World War II by Londoner Nesta Helen Webster and New York socialite Edith Starr Mile, or maybe Mill, who both added Jews to the mix as well as Soviet communism. Christian fundamentalists and evangelicals in the U.S. also took up the cry, adding that this was all leading up to the apocalypse. The John Birch Society, which was founded in 1958, started hinting darkly that college fraternities and liberal think tanks were actually Illuminati power centers trying to craft a new world order. Then in 1963, Greg Hill and Carrie Wendell Thornley wrote a culture-jamming alt-religion book called Principia Discordia, How I Found the Goddess and What I Did to Her When I Found Her. It's a text satirizing and mocking religion and found fandom in a lot of counterculture folks like Timothy Leary and Robert Anton Wilson. The Illuminati are mentioned throughout this book and Wilson, for example, was inspired to write a series of comic novels bundled together as the Illuminatus Trilogy, which was very popular with the stoner set. Wilson also pulled pranks like writing fake letters about the Illuminati in Playboy magazine, which he was working at for a while. Because the Illuminati had started off infiltrating Masonic lodges, many of the symbols that Masons use started getting confused in the popular mind with the Illuminati, most notably the Eye of Providence or the famous Eye in the Pyramid. But we'll talk about Masons another time in another episode. Since then, the Illuminati have become part of popular culture, appearing in books, movies, TV shows, songs, games, and most recently, internet memes. Madonna even had a 2015 song called Illuminati in which she claims to know who they really are. She thought it just meant smart people. Interestingly, a lot of hip-hop artists and fans seem to subscribe to the idea that the Illuminati are still around. Public Enemy is just one musical artist that has referenced the book Behold a Pale Horse, a 1991 conspiracy book by Milton William Cooper about a massive conspiracy that includes Kennedy's assassination, a world government that operates in secret, an impending ice age, UFOs, a secret treaty signed between President Eisenhower and the aliens, AIDS being a purpose-built disease to eliminate non-whites, witchcraft, Satanism, Majestic 12, the Bilderberger Group, the Trilateral Commission, and much more. This book is certainly at least some of the basis for the Project Bluebeam theory. See our episode about that. Conspiracy folks accuse various musicians and actors of being, quote, Illuminati puppets. Jay-Z is one of them. I mean, look at that rock hand gesture he makes. That's totally an eye in a pyramid, which is actually a Masonic symbol, but anyway. Lady Gaga, Keisha, Rihanna, Beyonce, Willow Smith, Will Smith's now 19-year-old daughter, but the accusations actually go back 10 years. Eminem, Bono, Whitney Houston, Lil Wayne, Britney Spears, 
Cardi B, who's under Illuminati mind control, Katy Perry, Justin Bieber, Miley Cyrus. Some people believe those last two are actually clones of each other created by the Illuminati. And not just musicians either. Barack Obama, Hillary Clinton, LeBron James, of all people, Warren Buffett, Bill Gates, George Soros, the list goes on and on and on. And of course, they are all over Hollywood, as numerous books will attest, such as The Illuminati and Hollywood, Celebrities, Conspiracies, and Secret Societies in Pop Culture and the Entertainment Industry, another rather long title, by conspiracy hawker for profit Mark Dice. Basically, anyone who has ever made it big is suspect. Because they're members of the Illuminati, they are rewarded by the organization with success and put into influential positions so that they can spread the ideas of the Illuminati and further their plans. Just look for any influencer that seems to be spreading satanic stuff or occulty stuff or sexy stuff or pro-LGBTQA plus stuff or pro-racial harmony stuff or racial mixing or dancing or anything that wouldn't pass muster in Beaumont, Oklahoma. That's the town from the movie Footloose back in 1952. Anybody who does that stuff is probably in the Illuminati. Also, any celebrity that suddenly and unexpectedly dies has almost certainly been taken out by the Illuminati because they were a threat, like Tupac, or because they wouldn't play ball, or it was their turn to be a blood sacrifice to Satan. And sometimes, those people are killed in secret and then replaced with pliable and obedient clones. There are plenty of places to find out all about the modern Illuminati and the shenanigans they get up to, including the rather astonishing website, IlluminatiWatcher.com. There are even some websites out there that claim to be the Illuminati. A couple of them are jokes. Most of them are scammers who are happy to take your money, telling you that if you join, after paying a certain fee, you will be rewarded with influence and wealth beyond your wildest dreams. One of my favorites of these is a website called TheIlluminatiElite.com, which actually has an Illuminati helpline and asks you to contact, quote, Agent Simon if you are interested in joining. According to a 2013 survey conducted by public policy polling, 28% of voters in America believe that a secretive power elite with a globalist agenda is conspiring to eventually rule the world through an authoritarian global government. This is the New World Order. 34% of Republicans and 35% of Independents believe in this New World Order compared to just 15% of Democrats. Now, the Illuminati and the New World Order, they get a lot of bleed over, though they're not always necessarily the same thing. But again, in another episode someday, we'll talk about the New World Order as such. Adam Weishaupt wrote to prospective members, quote, Should you want to learn wisdom, want to learn to make mankind more clever, better, free, and happy, then be thrice welcomed by us. But his authoritarian attitudes and need for control doomed the whole enterprise to failure from the start. And today the concept of the Illuminati is doing the exact opposite of making people more clever, better, free, and happy. Thank you for visiting The Conspiracy Clearinghouse. We're closing now, but we'll open another crate in the next episode. Until then, thank you for listening.